Here I am waiting. Abide in me, I pray. Here I am waiting, Lord, for you. Hide me in your love and bring me to my knees. And may I know Jesus more and more. Come live in me, Lord. All my life, take over. Come rest in me, and I will rise on eagles' wings. Come reign in me, all my life, Lord. Take over. Come reign in me, and I will rise on eagles' wings, and I will rise and soar on eagles. Lord, help me to rise and soar on eagles' wings. Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, been an awesome service so far. The Glow Ministry, wow, what a, what a resource to have in your church. When Joey had told me that there was going to be some black light ministry this morning, it, it uh, gave me some flashbacks to my days in the rock band. <laughs> and I can assure you that our message had nothing to do with what you saw this morning. So as I was sitting there reflecting on the, that great impact of that ministry, uh, and we were wondering where I was going to stand, I, I said, I just want to stand where I saw that image of grace. I don't want to be anywhere else unless I am standing in the, the grace of Almighty God who loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us. I, I can't help but thinking about God's kindness, his long-suffering, his patience that he has extended to all of us so that we might repent and come to the Lord and experience the cleansing of our sins and being clothed in the righteousness of God. And woe be unto us if we don't share this good news of the grace of God with a world uh, that is needing uh, to hear the good news that Jesus is Lord. It is a blessing to be here with Joey and Angie. Um, 
I guess you could say I was part of the supporting cast uh, to pray him here as one of his references. I knew about the I knew about the reputation of this church and the strategic place that you have here uh, near the front gates in the shadow of, of Fort Lee. And I also knew that uh, Joy and Angie and their precious family could, could take you where you need to be going uh, in this strategic time in the history of our nation uh, and support to our troops. And all of you who have been a part of supporting uh, our nation I thank God for our military. I mean, I thank God for all Americans, but I really thank God for our military. Uh, The the one, the true 1%, not the ones that you see in Wall Street protesting and the ones that you see in the streets, but I'm talking about the 1% who have ever put on the nation's cloth and worn it on behalf of the 315 million Americans. I thank God for each one of them. You know, in the history of our nation, 1775, when we first stood up the Continental Army and we, and we began to, to have an organized military, we've only had 43, 44 million Americans who have ever worn the, the nation's cloth. 44 million in 241 years. And we have 23 million veterans alive today. So I, I feel very called to ensure that we continue to provide ministry to our troops of all of our wars, as well as to our troops, loved ones, the spouses, uh, and the children. I've spent a lot of time since I retired in 2011 um, focusing on our wounded warriors. Uh, there's, there's wounds from any battle trauma, but I've been a little out of balance because we don't have a lot of broken troops. I mean, we do have some, but m- the majority of our troops are not broken. They're, they're wanting to be re-engaged and repurposed I believe that once they come back from combat or once they retire from the military, and uh, I can't think of a better resource for churches and to equipping and making disciples in our troops uh, who really are mobile ministers, Joey, as they come in here for a short period of time, and we literally catapult them to the ends of the earth. And uh, they're pretty well trained as well. We spend about $163,000 per year on our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and, and guardians. So uh, there's a lot of free resources that have been poured into uh, our troops, and I pray that, we, that our churches, as I'm speaking to our 45,000 Southern Baptist churches in our convention, that we mobilize uh, this precious resource. Okay, enough of that commercial. I am glad to be here with you. I just uh, uh, got... Got back from a Noble Warriors conference. I really had never even heard of it, but there, it's uh, sort of like the strong uh, uh, promise keepers movement as we try to uh, mobilize our men to be leaders in our nation. And so I was in, uh, I think it was Roanoke yesterday, uh, talking to our men about uh, leadership and talking to them about ministry. As I was preparing for that particular uh, conference, the Lord, the Lord convicted me to talk about character and that character matters. And I had uh, read a book by Os Guinness, uh, a great writer. And in 1999, 1999, he wrote a book called Character Matters. Now, you just have to think back to 1998, 1999. There was a lot of talk about leadership, especially national leadership. And Os Guinness said back then that uh, 
What we seem to have settled for in the nation, in the United States of America and the world, is mediocre leadership. That we're more interested in uh, cult figures or, or celebrity personalities, uh, regardless of where their character is, uh, regardless of where their heart issues exist. And I just thought that was kind of interesting that uh, we're sort of having that discussion today as we prepare for national elections. And I, I, I do hope that you're praying for this nation. Being in the military, I've got friends all over the world, and, and they're concerned for us, and they're praying for us as we make some really important decisions that affect the future of our nation. And again, thinking about uh, our military, one of the things I miss the most uh, you know, a lot of folks say, no, I don't miss it at all. I, well, I do. I, I miss uh, being around heroes every day. Now, I, I know we have some stinkers that put on the uniform and cause the military police and the local civilian populace to be a little uh, uneasy, but for the most part, I found myself for 38 years hanging around some of the finest men and women um, that, that I could ever know. I mean, it's just the way it was. The, the values that are instilled in us and uh, the loyalty and the dignity and the honor and the integrity that's pounded in, in selfless service and sacrificial service. And I will always place a mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will not quit. I will not leave a fallen comrade behind. Wow, some great principles that we could apply to the local church. Amen. One of those heroes I met, I want to just introduce you to him very quickly. Never met him personally. Uh, in fact, a good friend of mine, a high school friend of mine said, hey, I, I really want you to, to meet uh, this young man's parents because uh, they've written a book about their, their son's life and, and, and such a special young man. His name was Noah Harris, First Lieutenant Noah Harris from L.J., Georgia. Parents, uh, Rick and Lucy, uh, they wrote a book called Simply American. Um, he was a young man in high school. He was a straight-A student, um, graduated in 1999. He lettered in track, wrestling, football. He was the captain of his wrestling team, captain of his football team. Uh, he was a, a stellar champion as a wrestling um, young man at the 189 class. He never had a takedown. As a, as a wrestler, his entire high school career, captain of his football team, he went on to University of Georgia where he continued his uh, sports and athletics. He was a renaissance man. He participated in a number of drama productions. He was an international honors thespian. He was a youth ambassador to Washington, D.C., sent by the state of Georgia to Russia as to introduce citizenship issues among young Russians. Um, he was also in his spare time active in his local church. When he got to the University of Georgia, he, he was too short to play football, so uh, he wanted to be on the football sideline, so he joined the uh, cheerleading squad. And uh, he had a nickname, Quadzilla, uh, because, I mean, he was bulk, and he could supposedly hold three or four girls up in the air at one time. And there are pictures uh, 
if you Google his name. He was in the inaugural class for the College of Business Institute for Leadership Advancement in the state of Georgia. He was a summer intern for then Congressman, now Governor Nathan Deal. And on 9-11, when our country was attacked, he did something like so many of our young men and women did. He sort of took a, a pause in his life and felt the call to serve the nation. Against his parents' wishes, by the way. But he went into the military, and he was a successful young infantry officer. And on June the 17th, 2005, he had his final mission as an infantry officer in a place called Bakuba in the Diyala province in the dangerous Sunni Triangle. He'd been in a convoy, and he's actually on his way back to his home base, his operating base, when suddenly... Over the radio, he heard that there had been an ambush of an Iraqi security guard uh, uh, convoy, patrol, and he had to make a hard decision. He, he, in a split second, had to decide at a crossroads, by the way, whether or not to, to call for help and go back to his base, which no one would have held against him, or to respond to the danger. So like a good leader, he saw an issue... He assessed that issue and took it to heart of what needed to take place to include good or bad things that might happen, and he did something. He and his convoy rescued the Iraqi security patrol, but it cost him his life, and it cost his gunner his life and the Iraqi translator. They were all killed. At his memorial... His pastor said that anybody who could go from excellence on the wrestling mat to the stage, to the classroom, to the gridiron, to the sideline, to the battlefield, was a special person worthy of greatness. The Georgia Assembly said shortly after his death that this young man had packed more in a 24-year life than most of us do in 70 or 80 years. So as we think about leadership... Maybe I heard it first in the military. We had an old adage of see, know, and do. And I want to change that up just a little bit, that leadership, strategic leadership, ministry leaders, and we are all strategic leaders if we know anything about the Great Commission because it's not just about here at Mount Pleasant and Colonial Heights and the Richmond-Petersburg area and Virginia and the United States. It's about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I want to turn to a passage very quickly uh, on this Mission Sunday in Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 38, and quickly look at what Jesus as a strategic leader did, and beginning with verse 35. I'm sure that Joey, if he's not shared this text with you, uh, it, it's a text that we probably should memorize because it's, it's one of the greatest. But it's, it's about missions and ministry and leadership and what we all need to be doing. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of his kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. Father, I pray in these few moments that we have together that you would take this passage and that you would embolden it, that you would emblazon it, that you would etch it on our soul. That in this time in which we live, Almighty God, that you would call us out from our comfort zones, our apathy, our disinterest, and we would have a heart to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we look at Jesus Christ, and the first thing that we see is that he saw something. He saw the crowds. He saw the multitudes. He traveled no more than 200 towns and villages in about a 40-mile radius in his 33 years. And one thing about Jesus, the more he spoke the truth, the more the crowds began to enthrong around him. Now, I know in this day in which we have contemporary services and a lot of bells and whistles, and, and it's all good. I mean, we can't still be doing the same thing in church that we did in the 1900s or the 1800s or even the 1960s, 70s, or 80s. We have a new crowd. But I guarantee you this, brother. If we speak the truth, the whole counsel of God, you don't have to worry about a crowd coming. Why? Because we are living in a world with such deception, deceit, and lies that when you hear the truth, it is so very refreshing. People hunger for the truth. I preached to basically youth in my latter years as as a chaplain, most of them 18 to 24 years of age, most of them truly my children or they could have been. But I found one thing that was no different as a 50-something chaplain than when I first entered the Army as a 21-year-old. They were still hungry for the truth. I find it so sad today. If we talk to our chaplains who are working with our basic trainees, the number of 18 to 24-year-olds, those coming into our military, who have never held a sacred scripture in their hands. What has happened? I know our culture's changed. I know that probably today teachers would be arrested, fired, jailed. If you were to do something that happened to me in the fourth or fifth grade, have the Gideons come onto the school grounds, pass out Bibles to all the children who were there, and then we'd use those Bibles in the morning before school began to share our, our, our special scripture, the one that really, really, and we would read that, and then sometimes we would pray in the class, the teacher would pray, or even the, the principal would lead everybody in prayer or the Lord's Prayer in a school, in a public school. My, my. You know, today we're not concerned about Teachers, well, we're probably more concerned about teachers packing uh, weapons of protection or ensuring that we've got security than we are bringing the sword of the Lord. 
Jesus saw the crowds. The crowds came to him because he spoke the truth. And I guess my first question is this. Do you see the crowds? Are they absent to you? You know, yesterday we spoke about fathers speaking of absent. And we see a growing absence of males, specifically fathers and families. 38% of Caucasian families will have no father anywhere under the roof of that home. 68%, almost 70% in the African-American home. I, I don't know where the fathers are. They say by the 21st century, less than 50% of all American homes, less than 50%, will have any male figure or a father in the home to be a role model, to be a mentor, to be a coach, a trainer, to have some kind of authoritative presence and guidance in the home. Our fathers are absent, they're invisible, and we have a crowd of young people who are growing up fatherless. Do you see the crowd? On college campuses and universities today, statistics say that less than 1% of those 33 million college university students have any kind of active faith in their lives. 0.68% have a professing faith. Do you see the crowds of this next generation? Our veterans. One in every four homeless that you're going to see here in this area or in any big city is a veteran. A veteran takes their life. One veteran every 65 minutes. Over 58,000 names on the wall of our veterans from Vietnam killed in action in Vietnam. Over 150,000 of our Vietnam veterans have taken their own life. Do you see the crowds among our veteran community? Our culture is changing in the military. You got a bunch of military here, thousands, active, retired, tens of thousands. Do you see the crowds? I pray that we're not so busy, that we're not so into ourselves or navel-gazing, so to speak, looking at ourselves, that we don't lift up our heads and see the need that is all around us. The Scripture says that Jesus not only saw the crowd, but he was, he was moved by what he saw. As the crowds thronged around Jesus, the Scripture says that he had a reaction inwardly. His gastrointestinal system responded, something deep. His bowels churned. He was emotionally 
distressed by what he saw. He had a reaction. Two weeks ago, I was almost involved in a serious accident. A car in front of me went on in the median and went up in the air and flipped two or three times and actually landed on the other side of the four lane. And um, the people all survived. They had their seat belts on, believe it or not. They were crawling out of the car before it even stopped. Unfortunately, the young man had been drinking. It was very obvious. And we, I was one of the first responders, waited to the police, and then I drove back down the road. But I'll tell you, it, it tore me up because I had a flashback to something that happened in Iraq of just being a first responder to an awful incident. And it took about three or four days to sort of get my bowels readjusted, if you know what I mean. It, it gripped me. Near Thanksgiving of 2003, I was in a place near a place called Assassin's Gate in the Green Zone. Some of you may have been there, and there had been an awful explosion. Uh, but well, and a lot of people had been killed. And I remember, I, I remember going to the scene and um, looking in the eyes of these young 18 to 24 year old troops. We had we we needed them to help with body bags and things and. Seeing that awful sight, uh, that awful destruction of war, and, and, and Iraqi soldiers weeping over just the mess of an explosion. I remember trying to pray and minister to these Iraqis that I we didn't speak the same language, but my bowels, my, my gut churned for what had happened to them. Are you moved by what you see in our society? Does it bother you when you hear the story of a few days ago, barbecue, and all of a sudden shooting takes place, and next thing you know, four or five people are dead? I was just in Roanoke yesterday, and we were reminiscing over that horrible Mass killing in 2007 with 32 killed. Jesus looked upon the crowds and he said three things that, that bothered him. The scripture says he had compassion on them because they seemed so harassed, so faint, so worn out, so beat up, so battered, so ripped and torn, skinned alive. That's one of the definitions a visual of what that means. They were just, they were toast. They were helpless, immobile, catatonic, lifeless. He saw in their hearts so many who were just ready to quit. But perhaps what disgusted him and moved him so much was the fact that as he looked at the crowds, he saw the hapless and the helpless. He saw unconcerned shepherds. He saw people wandering like sheep without a shepherd. The Pharisees were uncaring and unconcerned. They didn't lead anybody to pasture. They just continued to build 
and expand theirs. They didn't tend or bind wounds. They were only concerned about themselves. They left people with heavy burdens. (coughs) I'm going to have to stop because of time. But I pray that you and I, as we look and see what needs to take place, that God moves in a fresh way on the church. That we see and we're moved with compassion. We see the helpless and we see the hapless. People like sheep without a shepherd. You can go out and look at these ministry tables and every one of them were started because someone saw a need. And then the third thing is not only do we see it and assess it, but there's got to be some action. We've got to do something. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. The time is ripe. This is a kairos moment. This, this, this is a moment that is ready for God to do something. But as we look around, the laborers are few. I am an example of a missionary who came to my church, a chaplain, an Air Force chaplain, by the way, not Navy or Army. And I saw through his testimony the need to become a chaplain in in the armed services as an 11-year-old. Look, the harvest is ripe. People are hungry for truth. People are engaged in all sorts of self-destructive lifestyles and following all sorts of idolatry and being immersed in all kinds of wickedness, sin, and rebellion. And the answer is Jesus. They must see the grace of God that was revealed once and for all through Christ Jesus. You saw the beautiful picture. People going down, being drowning in the filth of this culture. And God sent Jesus as the answer to save us from all of life's difficulties. Not just to save and to seal us, but to use us as his witnesses, as his light in the darkness to carry forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we not be silent regarding the great commission in the day in which we live. Hey, let me close with one other story. I have so much more to say. Maybe, maybe I'll say it in the second service. The solution is ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. Pray that the great commission will be fulfilled in our lifetime. A lot of folks are focusing on the end times. You want the the times to come. The, The scripture says the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations, and then the end shall come. I have a friend of mine. He's actually made that as part of his family covenant, that he wants to pray that all of his family go together Uh, to heaven because he as a family are committed, he and his children, to see the gospel fulfilled and the great commission advanced and sealed in his family's lifetime. Wow. Adam Brown was one of those 
who responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a, a Navy man. His wife had prayed for him for years. He was engaged in all kind of drugs and addiction because of some of the things he experienced in combat. But one day he met Jesus. And after he met Jesus, he constantly talked about the Lord, the resurrection. And he prayed that God would use him to lead all of his fellow troops to Jesus Christ. At least that the Lord would allow him to witness to all of them. In fact, he wanted the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we're going to be celebrating here, not just today, but in a few weeks on Easter. He prayed that the gospel of Jesus Christ, and specifically the resurrection, would be preached at his funerals so that all of his team members of his SEAL team could hear about the risen Lord. Chief Special Warfare Officer, Adam Lee Brown, who was a member of SEAL Team 6 as they took out Osama bin Laden. And shortly after that, he had the opportunity on numerous occasions, according to the book Fearless, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of his SEAL team. And thank God he did because on August the 6th, 2011, there was a crash. 38 were killed, 15 of the SEAL Team 6. But there's real indication that as a result of him having been called out of the harvest, seeing what his SEAL Team needed, assessing the situation, and asking God to use him as a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a real indication that he shared his testimony of Jesus with every member of SEAL Team 6 before they went to glory. The text that he wanted used at the funeral was from 1 Peter 5.10. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after we have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time.